<laughs> that, I started playing a new game, Donut County. You oh, I've it, played that. That one's fun. Yeah, it's a little what? hole. You move this hole around and things fall in it and it gets bigger the more stuff falls in it. And it's, it's kind of like your life, Don. <laughs> and you know things won't fall into the hole because it's not big enough so you got to move around and find smaller things i think there's a metaphor up. here yeah like a tornado run, running through <laughs> someone's life <laughs> i was thinking more like a god-sized hole Ooh, yeah. the official game of the boiled owl <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast, a meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Howdy, Don. Hey, y'all, I'm Sam. <laughs> oh, it is Sam. How it's you doing? It's me. I'm right here in the lower window. Or maybe the upper window. Who knows where I am? It's still the Brady Bunch. <laughs> yeah, we're still on in these little boxes. Little boxes on the hillside. Little boxes. <laughs> I love that our brains are just so twisted they go there. <laughs> you know, that's a really old reference. I can't believe it. You oh, went I, right I there with me. Honey, I totally got that from Weeds. Do you remember from that? Weeds? The, yes, the, uh, the, the series that was, I think it was an HBO series. Well, that was the theme song. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yes, sure enough. Hey, Don, I got a joke for you. Yeah? Knock, knock. Who's there? I'm an owl. An owl? An owl who? An owl who? Sam? That's it. Oh, I see. It should have been <laughs> knock knock and owl. Yeah, that kind of works too, but no, <laughs> you ruined it now. Dude, I, I watched, like it. I, like I watched it. Thunder Force last night, which is such a fun movie. And that there was a guy in there who was trying to nail this joke and he told it, just screwed it up every time. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to figure out how that joke really works. And I did. And I just like had to use it with you. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's owl appropriate. Well, there you go. Anything <laughs> owl is owl appropriate on here, right? Well, live animals, they're just trouble all the time. They are. And our yeah. pesky owl, I tell you. Yeah, really. Well, speaking of live animals, we have a live animal. I mean, a, a live guest. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, who are you? Who are who you? Are you? Uh, Introduce my yourself. <laughs> my name's Catherine. Hey, Catherine. Thank you for joining us. Are you afraid yet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Good. <laughs> Catherine, are you an alcoholic? Yes. Wow, you didn't even pause for a second on that. You just went right to it. Yeah. Well, it's good that you know. Yes, it, it really is is actually very helpful to identify the source of the problem. So Ain't that the truth? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really does make getting this 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 whole getting sober and living life better thing a lot easier, right? Yes, awareness really is key. When did you just discover that you're an alcoholic? I 
started using that word several years before I ever came into the rooms. Um, but I used it like a joke, like it was a party trick joke, like I'm uh-huh. an alcoholic, ha ha ha, see how much I can drink. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I'm an alcoholic, that means I get to drink or that I, um, part of the way I navigate life is that I drink. It wasn't, I had some awareness that once I started drinking, I wasn't able to stop each and every time I started drinking, mm. but I wasn't able to connect that to to the problems I was having in my life. It was like they were separate. Well, like, yeah. But so you're making a joke that you're an alcoholic and I yeah, was be like, wondering- I'm an alcoholic, that's why I drink. But yeah, it wasn't I wonder really was that though to knowing that you have a problem and to deflect it away by like. Oh yeah, I think it absolutely was deflection. I think it also was that those layers of denial that I have talked to lots of people about the need to walk through so that you can hold space enough that asking for help is possible. Yeah, that was the real awareness is when I was ready to say when I when I started testing the theory of could I start drinking and stop on my own and then that like, uh, I think that was the the next step was like I kind of used this word because I knew that I drank a lot and it was past the fun time. But then when I was like, Oh, wait a second. It's not that I don't want to stop. It's that I can't. Interesting. So now did you have any experience with AA when you tried to that controlled drinking experiment? No, I had stopped for two weeks on my own before I came into AA, and I thought that that meant I was fine. Yes. <laughs> oh, pardon me while I laugh at you. Um. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's fun yeah. now. So yeah. once I made it two weeks, I was like, oh, clearly everything's all right. And actually all that changed was that I stopped drinking in bars as much and started drinking by myself at home. Mm. Yeah, I did that too. My world that, you know, that's that talk, they talk about our world getting smaller. And that's what happened to me was it was, it wasn't safe for me to be drinking out in public and in bars and then trying to get home and all that. And it just became like, I'm going to drink at home. It's safe to drink here. I can pass out. That's okay. Yeah. I, and I um, would read the same bit of a book over and over again and think I was really, really smart. Mm. <laughs> I would what? hold my any book I would hold because I just couldn't get past at the end of it I couldn't get past reading like a paragraph and then I would like really think hard about <laughs> what I just read and it was very important and I would take my roommate hostage and talk to her about the paragraph I had read oh yeah. wow it wasn't going well <laughs> <laughs> well I want to know how you came to the idea that you wanted to test not drink it was it just that you realized you had a problem and said okay well I'm gonna stop this and then failed at it or were you really running a test in your mind I hadn't ever tried to not drink before it had always been such a part of my life that I um well, when I say that, it's also really interesting. Like my um, family of art, my my family of origin, my mother and sisters like don't drink. Um, my father is an alcoholic, and but he um, and he also now no longer drinks. But that I wasn't around him after like the age of ten. So like when I say that that was such a part of my life, like I I left the state, so I went and lived somewhere else. I think partially so that I could drink without having to. Um, 
involve my family in, in that disaster. Oh, um, wow. You know, so that I, I didn't have to, but I mean, I don't think it was all to take care of them. I think it was also to protect my own drinking, right. It was to, protect yeah, my own absolutely. to be able to, so yeah. that I wouldn't have to make excuses about why I clearly wasn't coming over and live 20 minutes away. I don't want to hang out with people who didn't drink the way I drank because it shines a light on how much I was drinking. Yeah. And Uh, so when I moved to the Northeast, I lived in a large city and was able to find lots of people that drank the way I drank. And then even if they didn't, yeah, even if they didn't drink the way I drank every night of the week, I, it could be different people, different nights. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to have multiples because you know, some people just can't keep up. I mean, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever's wrong with them and so i um eventually found people that did drink that the way i did every night and mm. so um it you know you, you there's part of that need for inclusion that's fulfilled by finding other people that drink the way you do i i don't think that i saw an option for a different way to navigate my life it just became so integral into everything that i did that i didn't see another path having those folks around me also like that made what I did normal. Yeah. So right. th- this, this was my normal. This was not a problem. This is just how life is. This is what That's people right. do. And often I found people that drank even more than I did. Cause then it really normalized. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> they got a problem. Much, yeah. Much worse than me. Yeah, so people like Don. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I, fine if you're passing out on public transportation, but somebody else is staying up till five in the morning drinking, they've really got a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Or hiding their beers in the bushes or something. That's I mean, right. Who would do yeah. that? Don, totally. And then ultimately wetting their pants. You know, yeah. I didn't do that. So I'm so, I'm always good. I'm not <laughs> rolling my eyes here at all. My drinking is normal. <laughs> um I had a girlfriend ask me, do you, do you really need to start drinking every day at three o'clock? I mean, at, like go to happy hour. Can we have one day and not do that? And so I got another girlfriend. <laughs> That's the, that is the solution. Now, did you, I mean, did, did you get another, like you had multiple ones? So you had the Tuesday, Thursday, happy no, hour no, girlfriend. No, 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 no. Okay. I just, it, she just didn't understand me. Oh yeah. But that's the solution, you know, when it's um, now it seems so clear that whatever I'm prioritizing is what I'll give up other things for. But at Mm -hmm. the time, I didn't even realize that that was my priority, that there was nothing else in my life that was more important than my um, my addiction. I mean, that was that was everything. And even if I didn't feel like I signed up for it, it just it became that way because I was so sick. And then like to answer to go back to your question, Don, about like was there, did I try that again? I tried it that two weeks and, um, I didn't feel like I had any repercussions. And I thought that meant that like, actually it was not, I really believed that that after, even after all the years that I had drank pretty much every day for years, two weeks was enough to prove to me that I didn't have a problem, that that wasn't the problem. There may be a problem, but drinking wasn't it. Oh, I, I totally get that. I mean, I, I would have been of the same mind. I, if I can quit for two weeks, then I can be quit for two years. I don't right. need to, but I could. Yes. And then as soon as I drank again, I wasn't able to stop again. Yeah. Yeah, I quit, you know, didn't drink on the weekend and then rode that. Wasn't that supposed know? to be longer than a weekend, Don? 
two, two years, two years later, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I did that weekend. So Don, it's really, you're, you're at such a disadvantage now that I know so much of your story. <laughs> yeah. So when did you did it become to a place that you decided, well, okay, actually I do have a problem with alcohol and I'm, and I can't quit and I need help. Oh, it was, I think it had, it was, everything seems like it happens all of a sudden, like it's like, you know, there's all these life epiphanies, but then when you look back, there's this slow progression of being drug across the pavement for miles and miles and miles. And that was kind of my experience is that I was just drug for miles. And, um, I, it seems very fast in my mind now, but there was this point where I was walking around throughout my day, literally out loud saying to myself, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And the liquor store was across the street from my apartment. And so I would um, walk into the liquor store saying, I'm not going to drink today because I, <sighs> I was out of my mind. So I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And then I would walk out of the liquor store having purchased Mm-hmm. into my apartment get upstairs and literally this is I mean you know we really don't need to wait this long to get help but literally confused about how alcohol got in my house because I had told myself I wasn't going to drink today and I was like wait and then I'd be like but I don't I guess I I guess I shouldn't waste it oh yeah so I would drink it and then I would decide that I would try again tomorrow and that that went on and then slowly like I my I, I couldn't hold on to a clear and consistent thought. And because I worked with several other people that were alcoholics, they just thought, thought it was very like cute and funny. Mm-hmm. So isn't that funny how Catherine's talking now when I would say things like, do you think that maybe we should, no, that doesn't make it. I don't know. Do you, I mean, I could not uh-huh. <laughs> carry on a conversation. And so as that progressed, and I think very quickly there at the end, Um, And I had lost so much weight that I could pull my jeans off. And I was confused about that. Like, why is that happening? Why am I so, because I was drinking all of my calories. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was, I couldn't, I couldn't connect the dots anymore. I eventually told myself that I was allowed to go home to North Carolina. If I worked every day, this is what I set up for myself. If I worked every day for 30 days straight, then I was allowed to go home. I don't know where that came from. That's clearly not rational. And I made it to like day 20 something. And I was walking down the street and the, I had the walk signal and I was walking across and I was saying um, that what I had been saying at this point over and over in my head was like, I need to go home. I need to go home. I need to go home. I called my mom and said, I think I need to come home. And she would always say, well, whenever you're here, we'll be happy, you're, you know, happy that you made it or whatever, you know, we're happy to have you. Please come home whenever you want. And I kept walking around, walk, I was crossing the street and this SUV who had a green light because I had the walk sign, you know, it, got, it was getting dark, but it had the green light and just had to wait for the pedestrians to cross, didn't see that I was crossing and turned right into my shoulder, like right and stopped right at my shoulder. Oh, wow. And the word that flips in my head was from, I, I, I need to go home was, I need to go home now. And I went home to my apartment. I, I drank and I went to bed and I got up the next day and I told my boss that I had to leave the next, I had to leave as soon as possible to go home. And I didn't give any explanation. And I took a bus, the 
I got on, I couldn't go the next day. There were no tickets. I think the tickets were like $15 and I had very little money at that point. I was drinking all of my money. I got on a bus and I came home and I didn't drink that day. And I was, I, when I got off the bus, um, my mother told me later that she thought I had cancer because I was so thin, like my cheeks were caved in Mm -hmm. and, um, I was very sick and I had just come home to sit on my porch on the porch at home. And my mom said, yes, you just sit on this porch. And she told my sister, she was like, don't ask her to do anything. I didn't know what was going on. I thought everything was fine. Like I always cook for my family when I go home. And so when my mom came back from work that day, um, cause I had arrived early in the morning, I was trying to make hamburgers and my mom, now I understand she was so scared. She panicked when she saw me cooking and she just said, I thought I said, Catherine shouldn't do anything <laughs> because she could see that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I lost it cause she was yelling. And I just remember my two, at that point in time, I guess like eight year old nephews, their twins had their hands over their ears at whatever was coming out of my mouth. It was horrifying to me. I was like, and I thought, oh my God, I'm a monster. And I ran out of the back door and into the woods and I fell down on my knees. And I said, I said, God, I didn't talk to God a whole lot, but I have to be able to stay here. I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have the money for a cruise. cruise. I've never never been on a cruise ever in my whole life. (laughs) But all I can think of now (laughs) is that either my mom or somewhere in the ocean were the only places I could possibly be safe. Oh, wow. And Mm. that's what I think, that I had to be somewhere where I could be kept safe. Um, A desert island. I was not safe. Nothing that was going on in my life was safe. I was putting myself in lots of dangerous situations. Lots of bad things had happened. I just think I love that part though. I literally out loud was like, I don't have the money for a cruise. <laughs> well, I'm really God. glad you didn't have the money for a cruise because <laughs> yeah. that is not a safe place for an alcoholic. <laughs> right? Right? And so yeah. um, my mom came and got me. She used to call us saying, woohoo when we were kids and she called me and came out and got me. And um, I stayed home for like 10 days on the port. I mean, just hung out. And um, at the end I told her that I had a problem, had a problem with alcohol. And she said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't want to go to stupid AA. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Who does? (laughs) I like literally like, that's what came out of my mouth. I had never been to AA. Um, I know now that two years before I didn't remember it. I was drunk. A friend had offered to go to a meeting with me. A friend who's not an alcoholic had offered to take me to a meeting. And I said, actually what I thought I said, what I said said to her was, she told me later is that I'm not ready to go yet. Oh, wow. wow. And I didn't remember that I was drunk. Of course. And so I, I had some, a few more days of drinking. Like I did get back on a bus. I did go back to New York. I did stop in DC and drink with a friend for several days. Cause that clearly for him was the cure for me. And so <laughs> came back and I drank one more night and I scared myself um, pretty badly. And then the next day I didn't drink. And then the next day I went to a meeting and then I didn't drink again. Was that your first meeting? Then? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
It's my first meeting and I, um, I have not had a drink since my first meeting. What a fantastic story about yeah. making it to the rooms. Yeah. Thank what you. Was, that that was well, cool. Yeah. I, what was your, th- what did you think AA was? Stupid AA. Stupid AA. Okay. So I'm um, not. What is stupid that, AA? <laughs> not stupid AA. Yeah. When she said, oh yeah, I didn't say that. So when she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I think I have to go to stupid AA. I said that, you know, that's uh-huh. what, um, I, I, nothing good. I mean, there was nothing, there couldn't possibly be anything good. It wasn't going to be people that I wanted to spend my time with. It was going to be some sort of burden, some sort of like albatross, like some sort of like cross to bear or letter to wear or um, completely humiliating, boring, um, like just stupid. Um, That's really what I envisioned. And when I walked into my first meeting, it was actually it might've been like in a Christian science reading. There was a library in this building and I walked in and I was horrified. It was lunchtime. I was, cause I'd run away from my office to go. And um, the woman sitting at the desk, this little woman, she, I just like was hard. As soon as I walked in, like I started to panic. I was fine until I got there and I was like, oh my gosh. And she looked at me and she said, honey, it's okay. They're very nice people. And she uh-huh. took my hand and walked me to the door that was in the back that was actually like a small black box theater. Um, and there was this old man sitting on the, the theater in a spotlight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Very dramatic. Like it just needed to be like the, in this. And I, I don't know anything that man said. I just sat in the back and wept. <laughs> like wept in the dark and then this woman gave me her card with her number on it and I thought oh my god this is worse than I thought Golly. <laughs> like but I ended up calling one of like one of the women wait and, what um, wait a minute what kind of meeting was it I guess a speaker you, meeting <laughs> no I, I, I think in that case it was a soliloquy meeting yes yeah. <laughs> well the it's hard to remember really tell what's going on at your first AA meeting. I oh, mean, God, the yes. first AA meeting I went to was uh, uh, making amends and that, that made no sense to me. I don't even remember my first AA meeting. I, re- I remember going to a meeting, but I don't remember anything about the meeting. Yeah. I remember that going, I remember where it was. I couldn't tell you what type of meeting it was. I couldn't tell you a single thing about it except that I was out of there as soon as it was over. <laughs> how did how did you decide to go to a meeting, Sam? Let's see. So, so the very first meeting, I was 18 years old, and um, I didn't have any consequences yet, um, but I just knew I didn't drink right. Drinking warm vodka shots in your bedroom at your parents' house is not how normal people drink. And so I went to a meeting and, uh, and it was a gay meeting in Greensboro, North Carolina. And it, um, was in a church. I, you know, there were a couple of three people there that I knew from a church that I was going to the, uh, I just was terrified. And as soon as that meeting was over, I was out the door and I did not go back until I was 32. Right. So with the 32, you knew something about AA. Not but really. I mean, I had stupid AA. You were going to have to go to stupid AA. 
it, it wasn't stupid AA. It was AA or death because I was at a point where suicide, I, 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 I couldn't stop drinking and I needed to drink and it was destroying my life. But AA is the only thing that works and I don't want to kill myself, but I'm going to kill myself. And, and, you know, and folks yeah. who've been listening over the years have, have heard literally it was AA or death. And it's like, well, shit, I guess I'll take AA. Um, I didn't yeah. want to go. Nobody, n- I, none of us wants to come to AA no. until we no. come to AA and we get it. It takes a I can while. relate to that, Sam. I can relate to that a lot because I it was that was the final straw. I find like that is actually the answer. The only reason I came to AA is because I realized I was gonna die next. Yeah. That's the only reason I was willing to come. I, I knew that I had a problem and that I couldn't stop drinking. Like I'd gone through that and then finally something about the SUV like like what like shocked my system. I was like, I'm gonna die. Oh, that I'm going to die. And it's related to my drinking. Like this, this is, this is it. We're past any point of just, is just a problem or you put yourself in unsafe situations. Like mm-hmm. you are going to die and it's going to be directly related to your alcohol use. And that became crystal clear. And I think that that was step one. And that was, and, we, and I was, I've never gone back backwards from that one piece. Like if I don't find a way not to drink a day at a time, I will, I will die sooner than I have to. Well, that's both of you had that were at that point and, and I was not at that point. So I just want to say it's not necessary to get to that point to, to <laughs> surrender. Uh, to no, AA. you can get off the elevator at any point. You don't have to go all the way to the bottom. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love that because I needed to hear that when I came to AA. Yeah. Because, it, you know, I thought that all this talk of death was hyperbole and people were just saying that to scare me. And I didn't believe that if I were to get drunk again, I was going to die. But then the very first meeting that I went to, my sponsor, I was complaining to him about that expression about a month later. And he said, well, Don, you know, remember that guy that was sitting next to you at that first meeting? He was memorable. And I was going, yeah. He said, well, he went out and got drunk and died after the, the next day or so after that meeting. He's, he's no longer alive. And I was, whoa. <laughs> well, this is real to drink is to die. And he didn't die because he had alcohol poisoning. He, he got drunk and fell in a shower and cut himself mm-hmm. and was too drunk to, to get help and save himself. And so there's lots of different ways. <laughs> there are. And it, and it is one of those things that, um, you know, to bring it back to the laughter and the levity. And it talks about uh, in our literature about the, uh, the, the laughing at the, the most horrible things and, and, mm-hmm. You know, we do, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of laughter. We laugh at some of the really saddest stuff because we survived it, but it is real. And this does kill people. And that's why I stick around is because if I don't continue to do the things that I've learned in these rooms, I know that I can go back there and I can go back there pretty quickly. 
as to being so despondent and and just defeated in life that this will kill me. And that idea that the bottom is wherever I stop digging and that I can always pick the shovel back up. Right. Like I, Mm -hmm. that didn't have to be my bottom. Like there were Mm -hmm. several times in my life, like you're talking about Don several times that weren't life or death related in my mind. There were absolutely windows that were opening up saying, are you ready to stop now? Are -hmm. you ready to stop now? Are you ready to stop now? It was me that, that, that either couldn't or would not say, this is a better path for you, right? I'm the one that shut the windows every time. It's just that this is the time when I was ready to dive out of the window, but I certainly could pick that shovel up. That's, that's what's so important to me about keeping connected is that at any time I could say like, you know what, I, I think I need to dig a little deeper. I think maybe <laughs> it needs to be a little worse. And there are, and there are every day, there are people who do right every single day. There's another alcoholic who picks up that shovel and starts digging again. And I haven't delved into this because I just don't want to go down this depressing road to enumerate all of the people that I have met over the, the years that I've been in these rooms who are gone who have died and died because of this disease. Well, and, if you stay sober long enough, you, you, yeah. in NAA, there are people who die. Yeah. Due to alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think I knew someone that died within my first 90 days and that was, um, and she killed herself. And, um, and that, that was just, I, that even, even with my own recognition that death was possible, for someone else to lose their life yeah. was just made it clear in a whole different way that this, this disease absolutely removes people from the planet. If it's not arrested and managed. Ultimately. Um, yeah. It my, does. my wife is a, for years worked in the hospital as a rehab nurse. That was her career. And she said that, some statistic like 80% or 90% of all people in the hospital are there somehow related to drugs and alcohol. Wow. And maybe she was talking about rehab. The vast majority had drugs or alcohol problems and ended up in the hospital. And, you know, my brother died due to mm, related to, drugs and alcohol. He had hepatitis C. It was related to, to drugs. You know, it is depressing the people that die in AA and, but so what can I do? And what I've done is, you know, I couldn't help him, but there are so many people in AA that come into AA in that point going, what can I do to stop drinking? This is killing me. And I'll point the way I have, a, mm-hmm. you know, I can help show them away. And so I turn the frustration of how, of the people that I couldn't help and turn it to being useful to the people I can help because by being in NA, we're in a unique position to be able to help people who want it. Yeah. That's why it's important for me to go to meetings. And it's one of the reasons yeah. I'm so glad that this Zoom thing that I have hated for a year um, <laughs> is not what I have to do now. 
I can start going back to in-person meetings where I can do that connection with someone one-on-one after the meeting or before the meeting and have that conversation because, oh my God, what an awesome, cool, amazing, all these under, other wonderful descriptor experience when someone wants help and they are, they're willing to do it. They're like, I, I need help and I want to do this. I've had some sponsees over the years who were just chomping at the bit to, to get sober, to do the work, to, to, they just jumped in with both feet. And, you know, it says somewhere in our literature about to see the lights come on in their eyes. Oh, wow. It is. I mean, this is really cool stuff. You got it. You got it, Sam. But you were you started off saying you're going back to face-to-face meetings. I've got two sponsees now who are exactly like that that want to quit drinking. They've never been to a face-to-face meeting. They've mm-hmm. only got and we've never met face-to-face. We only meet over Zoom. So I mean it's even possible here. But Absolutely. the truth oh, yeah. I mean, when we think about the fact that originally books were mailed to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like this there is you go. How we think of AA is 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 a is an evolution of what the program has uh, you know become. Originally, we I just that blows my mind that you know books were being sent out to people yeah. that were requesting them, and that's what they had. They had text. They had they had this idea that some people had put together enough words in a book that somebody was willing to publish that they could relate to. Like, and that is what people were able to hold on to and not drink a day at a time. So like this idea that I, I mean, I do need meetings. And also I'm very aware that the history of the program is that people got sober with a book. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. It, and I, I do want to throw out back that, you know, just like there are people who sponsor in different ways. Thank God, you know, because some somebody who's a hard ass may be the exact sponsor that someone needs and someone with a light touch may be the, the sponsor that someone else needs. Um, right. And so thank God we don't all sponsor the same way. Care That carries over to the Zoom world. Uh, for, Zoom has not been a good fit for me as an alcoholic in recovery. Thank God there are people in these rooms that Zoom just totally clicked for them. And it works so yeah. well. And, and they are able to help these folks who are coming to the meetings um, who are brand new looking to get sober. Because that is the primary purpose of the meeting is so that newcomers can find us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move to a different topic. Catherine, can you th- describe some place in your life currently where using the steps has been a path forward in a way that you wouldn't, you never would have come to if it hadn't been for the steps. Oh yeah. So um, I recently had a shift in employment. So I'm, I'm someone who changed jobs in COVID, which I think is kind of incredible. And the path for that from beginning to end um, took about five months And like, I've never, maybe other people have had that experience where they've had this very long, like choosing to, to put in an application, continuing to stay committed to your own current employment, things taking interesting turns along the way. And like, 
other opportunities arising. So that's basically what happened. Like this, this um, complete, not completely different, still within my um, wheelhouse and umbrella of what it is that I do. Can you say what you do? You do mind or? I'm a counselor. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm master's in social work and LCSW. So an LCAS actually. So licensed clinical addiction specialist too, because that would have been weird for me, probably not to be one. <laughs> um, so I, uh, physician heal thyself. <laughs> like, right. Like all, <laughs> it definitely is like a below the neck process to get sober for me. You know, my intellect can often get in my way. Um, but I, and I also find that because, um, I have this very, very curious mind that, um, often it takes, even though it sometimes takes my heart a little bit to catch up with where my brain is going, like when the two cross back over again, then I'm more easily able to understand where I'm coming from, which then informs my recovery, like, and how I could, how I relate to other sober people and how I relate to my sponsee and my sponsor and my family. So I saw an opportunity that was very different than the one I was doing and very different organizations. And I just thought I'm going to do that. So I got help with my resume and cover letter. I hadn't written one for several years and moving forward, there were many things that like literally the hiring stopped. There was going to be no hiring. Then a position opened where I was and then it, that I'd considered that. And then I realized that I needed to like, really, I just got real centered around needing to follow through with this feeling of that next step and like just trusting. So like, I realized that I was powerless over everybody else's decisions and, and how anyone else was able to offer me a job or not at that particular point in time, depending on their own structure in their organization, because there was a hiring freeze. And rather than get in a frenzy about it. Yeah. So step two, like I totally was at sometimes would start to get spinny about it. And like, I just need to make a decision and like stop this or do that, or just make it, make it rigid, hard and fast, very either or. Um, and that would have been fine. I totally could have stayed where I was. There was not, not, there was not, there's nothing wrong with where I was. Um, it was just, that it wasn't this running from, it was this pull towards. And that's what I feel like my recovery allows me is that recognizing like, wow, you're getting a little crazy. Maybe you just need to do the work to get back to the center. So that's my step three. Part of that's tr- I turned a lot of it over. And it, that was actually daily, like daily saying, I want to be present for the role that I'm in. And I also want to put my energy and intention towards this other possibility. Step three lets me do that. And that's actually... Uh, a wonderful evolution of my recovery and what that holds. You know, I'm, I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to be as present and intentional as I can with these very important humans. And I'm going to acknowledge that I would absolutely love to go and explore this new opportunity. And like that was step, wait, step, step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. How are you applying step three when you say that's what you're doing? So they flow and overlap for me. So when I'm able to reground and say like, hi, and a lot of, there's a lot of self-talk that happens. I mean, I am a counselor. Um, hi, hi, um, hi, Catherine. <laughs> You're talking to yourself. Yeah, a lot. Maybe. Yeah, we're. This Maybe you've was, gotten a little bit better. But. That's right, a little bit. I don't answer <laughs> But you myself. still talk to yourself. 
And I think as well, we should, right? Because the alternative is very crit critical. There's a lot of criti critical self-talk that goes on for lots of people inside and out of the rooms all the time. Yeah, we talk to ourselves all oh the my time. Gosh. It's just Everybody does, whether they say they do or not. But more frequently, yeah. it's negative, yeah. It's very yeah. healthy, you know? And so I just kept saying like this and literally like, I'm not in charge of this. Everybody else is making their own decisions. I don't have any way of knowing of what they need. And, and the thing that actually was the most step three for me is that there was a point in time where I realized it wasn't about being offered the position. It was about following through with the process, mm -hmm. whether or not they offered me the position. And that made me so angry. That made me so angry. I thought, no, oh. it has to be the outcome, right? It has uh, to be. Okay. Yeah. It has to be that this feeling I have to even move forward. I wasn't applying for tons of jobs. I applied for one job. I had applied for one job a few months before only because it had been put in my face. And I pulled myself out after the second interview because it wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And I, this was it. So I, when I re was able to say, you are going to put the work in here and it has nothing to do with them offering you the job. That was my step three. I see. I love that. It, it, it's following through on the process. Ugh. When I came into these rooms, I had not completed a single damn thing in my life. I had not finished. I didn't even finish high school. I got a GED instead. Mm -hmm. So it, it was when I did those steps the first time, I really still believe that that was the first time that I had completed a process ever in my yes. life. Yes. And I was more, the, the thing that my recovery gave me back, which is so important to me, is that it returned my integrity to me because I had lost it. I had no integrity. I had no integrity in the true sense of my own center cord of authenticity of who Catherine was. You just gave me chills. I couldn't stay true to something that I didn't know existed. I couldn't stay true to something that wasn't even there or that I didn't know how to locate again, that I couldn't locate it within myself. And like allowing myself to be like, oh, I don't even need the job. I just know that I need to follow this through. And I was honest with my current employer. I told them which was weird. Thought, <laughs> Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Are you crazy? But then there was nothing to hide. Yes. Right. There was nothing to hide. How's that for freedom? Pretty free. Yeah. And then they offered me the job. Your so. insides match your outsides <laughs> and you got the job. Yeah. And that says it. And that's, that's the thing that, that certainly does not happen in all aspects of my life. Like I go back to step one, every single time something is difficult, I, I have a real problem. I mean, don't, don't come to my neighborhood and walk on the wrong side with your dog. Because for me, there's a, there's a right and a wrong side. Like, and that's my, like, and if people that know me, like, this is my current thing. It's, it's like when I am able to turn that over and not glare or, huff or pout or stomp my foot or cross over and stare back at you. Cause like, don't you know, it's COVID and your dog might bite my dog. And, and it get, there's something that it, that it touches so vulnerable in me. That's so afraid. 
right? That's just about, I'm terrified. There's something about that that is clearly terrifying to me. And when I can love myself there, it will go away. And that's my step three. That's me. That's a, that's a power greater than myself a sit through the steps, whatever that is, which I have no idea, assisting me into becoming the next best iteration of myself in my recovery. And that's all I want. I, I don't want to be static. I prayed in the very beginning, the strangest prayer, I guess, but like that I, I wanted to be able to always be scared of new things. That I was so tired of being scared of recycling, of doing my laundry, of walking it down the block because I couldn't. And I am not scared of doing my laundry today. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about being scared of life. Yeah, I was, I was, I, I no longer was able to, to, I couldn't, I was, I was, un, I was so sick and I was still going to work. I was still getting on public transportation. I mean, I was starting to have panic attacks, you know, but like, I, this is, this is fine. And I have to reground and be like, oh, wait, like, this is a whole different ball game. Like you might still be grouchy and grumpy some days and like, think you're right and other people are stupid, which I is, I know is my go-to. And, you know, I might want to figure it out or make it work. And as soon as I can sink down and be like, it's not your job to make anything work. It's not your job to figure anything out. It's your job not to drink and to show up. Well, gosh, what a load off. What a load off. That's it. Catherine, that is fantastic. I, I there, there's something that popped into my mind while while this last part of our conversation was going on, and it's a, a quote from Maya Angelou that I um I read recently, and I, I had never heard it before. And do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. And that continues to be my experience in recovery of being open to learning, to new perceptions, to new awarenesses of me and where I am and how I'm relating to the world. And when I know better, I attempt to do better. Yeah. Recovery. Yeah. It's great. Hey, I warned you about those live animals. Here comes a different one, but still. <laughs> Here comes another one, just like the other one. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? That's the one I was warning you about. That's the old coot. <laughs> you, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still... One day at a time, Sam. You make it so attractive, Don. <laughs> Recovery's very attractive. I just don't, I wouldn't want this guy as my sponsor. <laughs> Folks, uh, you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. Uh, let's see, I'm going to flip over here to the Rolodex of Boiled Owl Old Timer questions and give it a spin. Don, insert that spin sound now. Maybe the Wheel of Fortune. Click, 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 click. <laughs> uh, let's go with um, this God thing. Is this a cult or religion type thing? That's from Patrick on Mulberry Street. This, this God thing, boy, whoo. That's exactly the question I had coming in. It's like, uh, is this a cult? 
I'd seen a lot of preachers on television lining their pockets with their Jesus talk. And I thought, oh, stupid AA. I'm going to come into stupid AA. And what it actually is, is so, you know, they're out to get me. And your money. <laughs> and my money. Keep your hands out of my pocket. That's not what I found. It really is different than, that, you know, our discussion. That's why I thought it was really interesting getting everybody's point of view, what they thought AA was going to be before they actually came in and experienced it, because it's really different than what I thought it was going to be. The idea of uh, the God and the cult and the higher power, it's understandable. Well, that's not true. I've got a sponsee now who is has always been a churchgoer and has a relationship with, with God, and he has no problem with God. The problem is the relationship. <laughs> it's the dependence is where the problem is. But the, just the as opposed to me, I didn't want to hear the word God. And that's the reason I thought it was a cult. And then also, before COVID, you know, we a lot of meetings are in church basements. So they're in churches. And the reason they're in churches is because churches are service-oriented and offer rooms for AA to use at a really reduced rate. So it's not as expensive to pay rent. It's a beautiful arrangement, but AA is not affiliated with any of those churches. So the idea of God, it's just very broad and very roomy. We talk about find your own relationship with a higher power. You can use the word higher power. You don't even have to use the word higher power. I used HP for a long time. I didn't want to go so far as higher power. But I got a sponsor and I followed his directions. And he said that, you know, just if you don't have a conception of God, why don't you use my conception of God? Do you believe that I believe? And I said, yes, I had to, I had to say yes. It was pretty clear that he did. And I used his conception of God. So I'm not required to sign on to anything that I don't believe in, which is that was the problem. As I think I was worried about being a hypocrite. You know, I don't, you know, I've got integrity. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to sign on to something I don't believe in. And AA is confident that if you work all the steps and if you go through the process with a sponsor, that at some point you will have an understanding of a higher power something that's larger than yourself that can help you and that is a way to move through all kinds of trouble in the world and life. That ends up being what my higher power is. It's an experience that happens from working the steps and from going to meetings and talking to other members of AA. And that experience is what God is for me now. And it's something real that has happened to me. It's not something I'm pretending to believe in. And that's what really worried me about it. That's not what's going to happen in AA. Just, I'd say, don't worry about it. 
just it's just just put that aside for a little while as long as i admitted that i can't fix myself and there is something that can help me fix myself and at the beginning it was pretty clear that aa was going to be able to help me so aa was my higher power that's a perfectly good higher power thanks old coot <laughs> <laughs> catherine what do you think uh this god thing is this a cult or religion type thing such a good question it's it's especially i mean and i think that i was thinking about coming in whenever a question like this comes up and that my experience of a power greater than myself has changed over the years i was very much like uh don you were talking about your sponsee that like the the concept like i had a clear concept i had kind of a multifaceted spiritual upbringing and so like that was kind of easy for me it didn't that didn't make me feel strange what I actually have found is that the power that I ascribe to upon my early recovery actually I found to be too small as I moved forward in my recovery and so um I would say no, it's absolutely not a cult. A cult is usually where at some point you can't leave and you are always free to go. Um, we'll, we'll be here when you come back, um, but we're, we're certainly not going to hold you hostage because that's just too much work. And, and we're the hand that reaches out, but I, I certainly don't want to be the hand that gets in the boat in the water with you because that's, that's when people drown. <laughs> so, and I'm just not willing to do that today. Um, <laughs> I have boundaries. You know, that's part of my program. I just constantly find that I need a larger and larger idea. I'm like, as I grow, I've moved and I may be changed in the future, but like, I don't really need the word God that's so laden in our text. I, I think that that's just a, a we need labels because we're language people and we need a way to define things and that works for us. And I want everyone to have whatever word and concept is helpful in step two. Is it something that can help you be restored to sanity? I mean, if that is a bucket of ice cream, or if that is, you know, the, the, the voice of your great grandmother in your ear, if that is the rooms of AA, if that is your sponsor in yours relationship, if that is a God that is real experiential to you, if you're not drinking today and it's helping you do that, I am so grateful. Um, I, I, mine constantly expands and changes. And at one point that was terrifying to me. And I thought, no, it has to be one thing, or I don't feel safe on the planet. And that's fine. I could have made it. And now it just seems like I don't, I'm not having a hard time thinking whatever this higher power situation is like, what is it not? <laughs> You know, and I don't, yep. I don't need to, I mean, often yep. I just call it like, oh, great love. Cause that works for me now, right? Right now. But that, you know, wasn't what I was doing a year ago and it won't be doing what I'm doing a year from now. Spirituality is vast. It's um, as vast as I, as I allow it to be when I follow it, follow it, period. It's certain, mine certainly doesn't look like even any of my friends. Like I, you know, it's, it's very broad and deep and like with perspective it's probably just a drop you know 
Um, and that awareness that I'm not in charge is enough for me like that. And that like, and not being terrified constantly of that concept. Cause I think at some point I was terrified that I didn't have control over my, you know, but, but when I need like to feel a little better, sometimes I just root back in like, with the, like, I could tell my heart to stop beating and it's still going to beat. Right. I, there's electricity in there. Are you kidding? Like, what does that even mean? There's electricity and like electric current in my body. Like that's, I don't care where that came. That's fascinating. I, I'm fascinated by the abundance when before all I saw was scarcity. So for me, whatever is, is certainly larger than me. And if it ever becomes something for me that I can define, I've made it too small again for me, because I don't want one that I can understand. I am we, and the universe is not, I guess that's my answer. Awesome. Thank you. I love that. So this God thing, is this a cult or religion type thing? No. That's my Thanks answer. for joining. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I know you've no, got but, more. Than but that. there is, of course I have more. You, you know me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, seriously, yes, the, the church's thing. So many AA meetings are held in churches that it just seems like, oh my God, this must be some religion thing. And then, yes, it did come from Christian roots. There is no doubt about that, that, that there is, you can spot the Christianity in what's written. But it did not get in the way for me. And that is the really cool thing for me. I'm an atheist and I am a spiritual atheist uh, and I am 100% okay with that. I don't have a need to define whatever this thing is. And Don, when you were talking about, I'm unable to heal myself, I can't fix me, but I need something that can, I need a higher. Another thought occurred to me when you said that, and it's like, all right, my understanding that I can't fix me, this, this alcoholism thing, I could not fix my alcoholism, but I did believe that it could be fixed. I didn't know what, I didn't know who, didn't know how, but I did believe that it could be fixed because that's why I chose AA instead of killing myself. That, I think, is that access to whatever a higher power, other power, something not me that can fix this. And ultimately, what that has turned out for me in action to be over the years is that there's this, uh, this program, this recommended action plan to take that's, that's in our, our literature, the big book, the 12 steps, that if I, if I work that program, and I do it someone else's way, a sponsor's, then my life changes and I wind up not drinking anymore. And that's my experience. That's what happened. I don't need to dissect it. I don't need to define it. What I know is that by working those, those steps, by working this program and continuing to work it in my life and do it someone else's way, I live life more easily in the face of things that there is no doubt I would have been getting drunk over. No doubt I would have been resisting and, and waving my fist at the air and cursing the world and trying to bulldoze my way through life. Today, for the most part, yes, I'm human. I still do it on occasion. But for the most part, 
I don't, I don't live like that. I, that, that weird ass thing of turning my, my will and my life over to the care of God as we understood him. Thank God. I heard somebody early on say my will and my life, my thinking and my actions. So today I align my thinking and my actions, or I try to with the greater, whatever around me, I try to plug into the world and just be a part of it rather than trying to drive it. And that's working. So it's definitely not a cult or religion because uh, y'all would have kicked me out by now. You know, and the thing is, is that just allowing that uh, there's a higher power of some kind and going along with this thing and then working all the steps, I don't have to drink again. I don't care what comes in my face. I'm confident I don't have to drink again. That's freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Catherine, this has been great. Thanks it for has. joining us. Thank you so much. Roost. That's such fun. <laughs> Thank you for having me here. Oh, here, watch out. There comes that pesky owl. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org. You can also email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. Special shout out to Peter. Thank you for contributing to help with the expenses. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. And then my other question is, um, why Boiled Owl? Because <laughs> Don's weird. Uh Oh, it's a big book reference. But I don't know. I, I knew it must be, but I don't know it. In no time at all, we were boiled as an owl. Oh, wow. So it's talking about the guy who has stopped drinking and then goes back to the bar. And in no time at all, he was boiled, boiled as, an owl. as an owl. It's just a oh weird my expression that I've, I've always just loved, boiled owl. <laughs> So yeah, that's I great. figure we're a couple of boiled owls. It's I feel like, like every time I go through with a sponsor or with my sponsor, I see other phrases that I've I swear that like got in there sometime since yeah. Oh yeah, that, that book is constantly changing. It yeah. it's got amazing, <laughs> yeah. It's got amazing stuff. It's like the Harry Potter hallways and stuff, you know. Yeah, it just changes. <laughs> Don't you like to think of yourself, Catherine, as a spearhead of God's ever advancing creation? <laughs> I do. Ah, <laughs> oh, there goes that spiritual gas giant again. <laughs> <laughs>